And now, a few minutes with two of my friends, who will soon be yours, the Techie and the Cowboy. All right, all right, here we go. Episode five of the Techie and the Cowboy. My name is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. the Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. the Cowboy. Man, we're having so much fun with this podcast thing. It's, it's been a, a journey just figuring it all out, and we appreciate you coming with us. So we love to give gratitude to all of those that are listening. Make sure it is you hit the subscribe button so that way you can hear every time we put out a new podcast. But today we're talking about dealing with obstacles and live challenges using your Christian faith. And I'm really excited about this one because we got a special guest on with us. Just oh, to yeah. give you a little bit of background about him, he's in the Country Radio Hall of Fame. I am. That's yeah, a big thing. So hey, hey, wait a minute. I'm also in the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame. Wow. Ooh. Super hey, established. Hey, who do you and, think uh, you're talking Mr. to? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he's decided to join us this morning. So Moby, how's it going, man? That's uh, that's going well. Actually, it is going well because I've been picking at you for a while here, and I, you know, bless your heart. And you seem like you could take. You seem like you got a great sense of humor. Wally does. I've known Wally for a hundred years. Yeah, maybe a few fewer than that. No, it's just about a hundred. But uh, uh, he—he's a dear friend of mine. He told me about you and your your journey together, and how how the Lord brought the two of y'all together. And that's a wonderful thing. And he asked me if I'd take part, and I said, "Yes, I will." <laughs> you you know how Wally and I got together, Alistair? Yes. No, sir. Tell the story. I want to hear it. He uh, he wrote a, a a book. It's actually a trilogy. Um, Dusty and the Cowboy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you ever volunteer, Alistair to, well, I didn't volunteer. He gave me a little bit of money for it. Not a lot, but he didn't pay me. But uh, we, when you get, get committed to read a book on tape, you've just volunteered to eat an elephant and you must eat it one bite at a time. And it takes a long time and there can be no stumbles in the final analysis. After all the edits are done, there can be no stumbles. You can't do anything wrong. It has to read like velvet. And Wally wrote the trilogy, Dusty and the Cowboy, and to a mutual friend of ours, a, a young lady that was working for me at the time, Sandy Weaver, she brought Wally to me and wanted to know, would I record his book? And I, yes, yes, I will. And there, there was a couple of story, short stories that uh, I was involved in before the book came, came to pass. And then the book started and man, I, I've got, I've got all the trilogy of them over here beside me right now. I loved being a part of this. And there were parts of it that made me cry. Cause I cry easy. I don't know about you, Alistair, but I, I will break down in tears easily. <laughs> and, and this book, I don't know how many places in it. I had to stop reading because I was so emotional. It was great. And part of it was funny and part of it just gets you fired up. It, it was a great book, but Wally and I, TW, and I became what I like to consider good friends during, during that journey of getting the book recorded. You left out the part where you got defensive. About, about you not knowing Spanish? No. <laughs> well, that, no, you got argumentative about the Spanish. You got defensive about one of my characters, the first female character I put in there, Emma. Tell Alistair why. Well, I'm trying to remember why myself. I do remember Emma, and I remember who her uncle was. Do you, you know, do you remember the phone call that you gave to me the second time I heard from you over the phone where you said... 
I read your story. Cowboy, Cowboy made a promise to Emma. Is he going to live up to that promise? That deal, that, is that what you're talking about? I exactly. was defending Emma. I didn't know your writing style as well then as I do now. Certainly you're going to keep the promises that your characters have made in the book. And, and, uh, but Cowboy promised Emma that he'd be back and he'd see her again. And, and, and he did indeed. There were other promises made too. You know, this, this, this book, I'm telling you, if people haven't read it, Dusty and the Cowboy, get it and read it. Wait a minute. No, don't do that. Get the audio version and I'll read it to you. <laughs> I feel like I already know you because I've listened to the book a couple of times now and I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm talking to an old friend. Look, don't be blowing smoke up my skirt. Tell me the truth. What'd you think about it? I actually really enjoyed it. You know, I, I, audiobook is my favorite format to be able to listen to anything, whether it's personal development or fiction. And so, uh, so I really enjoyed it. So did you listen to it going down the road. Did you? Did you oh yeah. Always. Yeah. Always in the car. I, I prefer to actually listen to audiobooks over music sometimes. So as you think about Dusty and the Cowboy that you've listened to, does anything just top of mind immediately? The first thing that comes to your mind of what you heard, can you, I would be really interested in knowing that story. What, what, what meant the most to you and Dusty and the Cowboy? Cause there were spiritual lessons all through that entire trilogy. Absolutely. I'm more interested in where Dusty's going to go with his faith and growing and how he's going to affect others. That's the biggest thing that, that caught me in the book is like, I really want to know, it seems like it could be journeys upon journeys upon journeys, who he's going to touch and how he's going to affect their lives as he goes through his journey. So, so did you listen to all of it all the way through the end? Yeah, I listened to, well, I think TW, I think you gave me the first two. I don't think I've, I've listened to the, the third one. Yet, so, so you don't know how it ends. No, don't there, tell there, me. There, I'm not going to tell you. Oh my gosh, man. You know what? We need to do another one of these after you've heard the end of it. Because, I mean, the spiritual lessons of Dusty and the Cowboy are just, well, it made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm going to go meet it. We got a four-hour trip to Houston, so it looks like that's what I might be doing is, a, <laughs> is closing it out while I'm on the trip. So, why not? so you do have the end of it. You just haven't gotten that far yet. Is that correct? Yeah, I just got to get it from TW. I, gotta, I guess I need to go purchase it so I can support you, right, TW? Just like everybody listening is going to do. Well, TW, <laughs> considering the role I have played here in this little segment, I think I'd get a kickback out of Alistair's last purchase. <laughs> uh, the, the last time that Wally and I did have lunch together, though, for the first time, I believe, I actually bought lunch because he had always paid for lunch. This time I bought lunch. That ain't happening anymore because I just helped you sell a book. <laughs> <laughs> so he got you some some royalties there <laughs> TW. so guys what are we doing here on your podcast I, 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 say, I, we might want to get to it so we're talking about dealing with obstacles and life changes through your christian faith so tell me you know through your journey you know as a famous dj right? used uh, to be. <laughs> as a famous dj has there been some some places where it is that faith really played a part in helping you to be able to overcome some obstacles <sighs> That's a deep thought. That's a deep one. This is, we're getting deep right no, out the gate. No, it, it really is because I, I don't want to flippantly answer that. I, I, I want to really think about that and, and answer from my heart and my soul and my spirit. And I know that's what you'd like to get from me. And, and that, that's certainly what I want to give you. I remember when I, when I first gave my heart to Christ, I was uh, nine years old. And it was Homestead Methodist Church outside of my hometown of Crossville, Tennessee. My grandfather, who's the dearest man in my life, built that church. He and his, his buddies built that church. And every, every uh, Sunday morning, me and Papa would get up at four o'clock and go build a fire down in the furnace. So the church would be warm for services. And uh, I, I remember that so well, but we'd get up at four o'clock, go build a fire and then go back home. Nanny would have breakfast made and then we'd go to church. 
And there was a, I can feel myself starting to puddle up right now. This is going to be hard for me. So anyhow, we, 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 we go to church and there was a Sunday morning because I had been feeling not troubled isn't the word, but I had been feeling, I think now as an adult, I can say I had been feeling led to the decision I made this one Sunday morning when I was nine years old. The pastor who, and I'm ashamed to say, I can't remember his name, but he delivered a message that morning that made me feel more strongly led. Wow. And I got up from my pew at the end of the service when the invocation was given. And I went and I got to my knees at the altar. And I was there and I was in prayer. And all of a sudden, oh boy, here it comes. All of a sudden, I felt this very strong arm around my shoulder because I'd given my life to Christ and my granddaddy, God bless him. He had lived every moment of his life in that fashion. And at that moment, with that strong arm over my shoulder, I knew that my granddaddy was proud of me and that Jesus Christ had accepted me. Wow. <laughs> I told you I cried. You see? Yeah, that's an amazing story. You know, it's, I've had conversations with people on whether it is that, that children have the ability to be able to, to know when it's time to accept. I accepted at five. Sim similar situation. That's why I'm wowing because my story is almost similar. You know, I was moved to, to walk down at Mount Olive Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas. And they had a big red chair in the front of the church. And I told my mom, I'm, I'm going down to, you know, to during the invocation to, to accept the Lord Jesus. She's like, what? And before she could say anything, I was, I was headed down the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's similar experience. I sat there. I remember it like, you know, it was like it was yesterday uh, and accepted him and, and never hesitated ever since then to, to know that the Lord has been with me every step of the way, every step of the way. And, you know, even, even when we, even when we falter, even when we, find ourselves not on the path and the path we're on isn't very brightly lit. The light is there. We're just not seeing it. But when, when, when we do find ourselves apart from the path, the path is still there. And all we're going to do is just step back on it because Christ is still waiting. The same Jesus that loved you when you gave your heart to him still loves you now. And if you'll just step back near him, he'll bring you back in. Everything's fine. You haven't strayed far. Life is fine. But I know that one day I will see those that have been so dear to me that, and during my life on this earth. And I really look forward to touching the hem of the garment. I look forward to being embraced by Jesus. And I know I will be, but what I look most forward to here on this earth is seeing Papa again and have him tell me I did a good job. So powerful, such a powerful story. And we appreciate you, you sharing it with us. Well, it's the, it's the truth. So now, so I love what it is that you said that, you know, at any time we get off track, all of us do. That's part of we us do. being human. Uh, and I think it's an amazing feeling whenever it is that you're in the place to know that he's always there waiting for you with open arms. You know, Absolutely. he forgave us for our sins. God forgave us for our sins when he sacrificed his son, right? Absolutely. And uh, And that thought, I think, is what it is that makes us feel so able to come back. And Alistair, even, even if you step off the path and stay off of it for a lengthy period of time, Jesus is consistent. He is always there. When you do decide to come back, he's still there. He didn't go away. You did. Absolutely. Isn't that amazing? And, and what, what really, again, we have a lot of connection. What resonates with me with your story is my grandma, she just turned 94 years old this year. Wow. Right? And we had, a, we had a period where we almost lost her in this, this past year. So it was a, a huge blessing for her to, to reach 94, led a full life. She's the one that, that watched us and raised myself and my cousins 
Uh, you know, there was no daycare. We went to grandma's house, right? So lots of lessons in that. She's an old Caribbean woman. So, so I had a lot of, lot of wisdom inside of that. Uh, you know. Boy, I bet she was a good cook, too. <laughs> oh, boy. That was, yes, yeah, she definitely was that for sure, <laughs> yeah, right? And uh, that's where I get my love for flavorful foods from, right? Um, but just, it's, it's, I have a sense of peace when it comes to her. Like, even when it is that we thought that we might lose her, because they actually had to revive her on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. So the when call I got from my dad was that she was gone. And so in that moment of believing that she was gone, there was a sense of peace, not so much a sense of panic. While everybody else was panicking, for me, it was a sense of, of peace, just in knowing her and knowing her journey, but more importantly, knowing where she's going and the fact that she doesn't have to deal with pain or anything like else. Me Papa, I expected to be so emotional at Papa's funeral. I don't think I shed a tear at Papa's funeral because I knew where he was and I knew where Nanny was. And, and I, th I think that when we grieve for those that go on before us, especially if we know who they were and how they were and what they were. It, it's okay to grieve a little bit and to miss them, but don't let grief overtake you because it's unnecessary. Now imagine my surprise when I showed up at the hospital and she was up and talking to me <laughs> after, after going through that emotional journey on the, on the drive from, uh, you know, from Allen to, to Arlington. And then all of a sudden I, I show up and she's like, Hey, <laughs> I said, I said, grandma, we thought you lost you. And she said, not yet. <laughs> but you know, but it'll come. It will come, Alistair. It will come. Grandma will go. And when she does, you got to go. Good for you, Grandma. I'll see you soon enough. Well, if knowing nothing else, it gave me a kind of a preview of how the family is going to be able to take it, and and being able to have that peace in the moment when I thought it was while everybody else was panicking, kind of allowed me to know my role inside of that situation as well. So I think it was everything happens for a reason, right? So. So yeah, absolutely. It does. It does. And, and well, I just, I wish you well and I hope grandma likes it, makes it to 110, but you know, then, then again, there, there are some people in heaven right now that thinks, well, I, what's your grandma's name? Doris, grandma Doris. Doris. There's people in heaven right now going, well, I guess Doris didn't stay on the path. She'd have been here by now. <laughs> <laughs> she, she decided she wanted to come back, right? She yeah, time. Doris, you know, I guess old Doris just, just really fell apart. Okay. <laughs> but then all of a sudden there she'll be and everybody will be so happy to see her again. What about you, TW? We're hogging this whole uh, conversation. Has there been some times in your life that you can remember where it is that your faith really played a, a part? You know, we've been talking about getting back on track, on, on helping you through and, and getting you back on track. Well, when I was 47, I was out jogging. I was a pretty consistent jogger into health, all that kind of stuff. I had, I had an issue, uh, which resulted later in the day of me going to the ER to say, you know, I got these bad muscle cramps. Well, after they finished the bypass, oh boy, <laughs> where I was actually having a heart attack, and I remember that my mother came into the um, ER room, recovery room, I guess. And I was surprised that I had lived through it. Be just because of the uh, knowledge that most of the uh, men who have heart attacks die. And I said, why do you think that I did not succumb, and, but that I suffered through and have lived? And she just put her arm on me, looked at me and said, oh, that's because God's not through with you yet. <laughs> and so I, I said, oh, you know, obviously that was true. So at that point, I dedicated myself to A, finding out what it was he had saved me for, and B, actually doing that. 
So that's, I changed. Uh, if you had seen me then, seen me now, you say, <laughs> physically, you're a much different person. Emotionally and spiritually, you're a much different person, okay. a much better person. But uh, that's what uh, reaffirmed my faith and made me aware of my journey. Had you been on a journey before you were 47 years old or you just had a heart attack? You know, had you been on, on a spiritual journey before that when you were a teenager in, in your early 20s? You know, how were you then? How were you spiritually as a young man? Well, Elster and I have talked about this uh, before. My mother was Catholic. I did not grow up Catholic. I grew up Episcopal, which is kind of like Catholic. Catholic light. Yes. And so it's one of those things that they did not have the, they did not promote the kind of experiences that the two of you did where you say, oh, here's the day that I'm giving my life to Christ. It was assumed that you were already Christian. So we, you know, we kind of skipped past were that. Were you baptized in the Catholic Church? Well, not in the Catholic Church, in the Episcopal Church, yeah, I was. Uh, but it wasn't really until uh, I was married to Cindy uh, who steered us toward the Baptist Church. That was my first experience outside of the Episcopals. And that's really when I reconnected. You can say that from the time that uh, I started college, until I was 45. So for about 25 years, I was dedicated to career, making money, you know, kicking butt, doing all that stuff. And I put uh, my Christian life secondary and kind of coasted right up until I got the wake up call, literally. Boom. Second, I, I'd like to challenge that. Sec, secondary, I don't think, if, if, if it's like me, and I think we have a whole lot in common, but, but if it's like me, secondary, no, that's not true. It was like tertiary. It was like not even in the picture. You weren't even thinking about it, or at least that would be my story. I wasn't thinking about it during, during periods of time. During my 20 years in rock and roll radio, I wasn't thinking about my life as a Christian and how I could get closer to God and, be, and, and, and have a better relationship with Christ and eventually have, have the eternal and glorious reward of being accepted into the pearly gates and the streets of heaven. I, I can't imagine that I was thinking about that at all during that period of time. To say it was secondary, that's an understatement. Does that kind of sound familiar? Yes and no. My mother was still alive. She lived, uh, see, I lived in Alpharetta. She lived in um, Virginia Highlands. Okay. And so we kept up with each other. She would continuously be an example of her Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, she would dog at me about that kind of thing. Nominally, I would attend church services. It wasn't my first priority. I got you. Well, during this period of time in my life, if I was visiting Papa and Nanny, not Mom and Daddy so much because, well, just not Mom and Daddy so much. But when I was visiting Papa and Nanny, I'd go to church with them and stuff, and they didn't know how far I had strayed from the path. I did. I didn't care, but I had strayed far from the path. And I didn't want Papa and Nanny to know that I had. So I'd go to church with them. I knew it was there, but I, I didn't feel a need for that path. I didn't feel like uh, I was being called back toward that path. And it was uh, sometime after that, that I can't even tell you exactly when that was. I wasn't nine years old then, but I was an adult that I, I met a pastor that I became good friends with. Kurt Bozeman's his name. And he was the pastor at, at uh, Northbrook United Methodist Church. And we became the best of friends. And he told me he felt like God had sent him to this church. So I, he, he felt like he was there for me. And I guess he meant that, but it meant the world to me. And it was through him that I was led back to the path to, to find Christ again. It's amazing how we can pinpoint some of the, the points where it is that we're led back from the path and got off. 
Uh, for me, it was in, in college, and I mentioned this in, in several podcasts before, but in college, Live Oak Baptist Church in Nacogdoches, Texas, during a revival that I, I really, it was my first revival I'd ever been to, growing up in the Baptist Church, and that's where it is that I accepted the Lord when I was little. Then we moved to Methodist, because my dad grew up as Methodist Church, which is a little bit more refined than the Baptist Church, right? Uh, but I hadn't been to like a spiritual revival ever before, like a Baptist Good old East Texas revival. So almost like a foot washing, just a little bit shy of a foot washing. Yeah, it was a party, right? It was a party for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so in that, I was I'm a people watcher, so I was watching everything that was going on because I thought it was just the best thing ever. I'm a music guy, so I love the music. And the the pastor who came, he came to preach. It was a preach until I'm done revival too. <laughs> I love I love hearing a good sermon. Preaching, yeah, yeah, that was it. But it was looking that for your twenty minute sermon. No, no, no. I will preach till the Lord tells oh, me. Man. Look, look, he didn't care if we had school because it was mostly college students that attended this church. He had they had created an environment for college students to feel comfortable, especially with them being away from home. Because East Texas and Nacogdoches, most of us were from Dallas to Houston, so we're either two or three hours from the house. Uh, and I had searched for different churches and didn't feel at home. And I went there. The way they baited people in is that they served the the dorm the dorm cafeteria was closed on Sunday, and on Sunday they would serve you a meal after it is that you went to church. So, so a lot of people would they would come just for the the home cooked meal. Yeah, yeah, it was home cooked, right? It was a, a couple of ladies in the church who cooked it and put them in the styrofoam containers. And you got to take that after after the sermon. So and Jesus, and Jesus will tell those women, "Job well done, thank job you." Job well done. Yeah. So a lot of people came for that. As a matter of fact, the first time I think I did come for that. Now that I think about it, but it was in that environment that I really thrived. Mm-hmm. That was the first web design contract that I had too. So that got me into the world of commercial web design. There you go. The, 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 for the, the mysterious for journey that we're on. We never really know. You you might be another step down that path. And who knows that this relationship that we have here with, with y'all's the relationship that you and Wally have with your podcast, who knows where that will lead. You don't know, you don't know today what tomorrow is going to bring you. You know, there, there are opportunities that show up and you got to be willing to accept them. So I'm, so I'm in the revival and, and just like, I feel God speak to me, just like he's speaking to like, we're speaking on, on this uh, podcast. Uh, and he he just brought me closer. At that point, I started my relationship. One of the sermon titles was being able to speak to God as if he's your friend and being able to have that one-on-one relationship. And that's the point in my life where even though I've known God my whole entire life, kind of like you, you know, straight off the path and back on the path while I was in college, doing college things, right? Uh, but at that point, that's where I started my having the conversation with God. And that's been one of the most important things in my faith journey. And it was, it was right on point because, um, I had the ability after it is that I left college, came back home, decided I wanted to jump work in corporate for a little bit, did the IT thing for a little bit. Uh, you know, had my web design business on the side, had the ability to be able to go full-time on my web design business. And my first big contract that I landed was, uh, overseas in Finland. So I had to pack, pack up right before Christmas and make a big decision to miss out. Christmas is a big deal for our family to miss out on, on Christmas because I I had this ability to go land this international web contract. Yeah. So so go. So you went, right? That's what my parents said. I was trying to figure out how to break it to my parents and they were like, go, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Right. What are you talking about? What are you thinking? Don't, don't, don't even think about not going go. Well, you know, whenever you've never been out of the country, besides I've been to Antigua maybe a couple of times where my dad is from, uh, you know, this is a big transition. This is like overnight. They wanted me there like the next week. So I had to do the expedited passport and, and I'm going across the world. I couldn't even tell you where Fiddler was on the map before it is. They asked me. So to how did go. it go? 
you know? Uh, how, luckily, did it go I, in Finland? how did it go? It was great. I, luckily, I knew some people there. Now, my thin Texas blood and negative temperatures, that, that's a whole different story. And in the, the, <laughs> the 22 hours of darkness, that I had to do some adjustment. Yeah, they're serious about their winter times in Finland. Oh, man. But the biggest challenge to my faith was once I got to Finland, I had only been there. It was a, a three-month contract. So I was supposed to help some – it was actually the, the top R&B artist in Finland who's from Kentucky wanted an American web designer to come design his page. Um, and so he got his, his label to be able to finance me coming over to Finland yeah. to work with them. I got there, you know, got settled in, trying to adjust to the negative temperatures and the 20 inches of snow, which we, I don't know if you know, we don't get 20 inches of snow in Dallas. That no. <laughs> or, or in Atlanta. Yeah, or, yeah. So I'm trying to adjust to that. And I get, I get a phone call saying your dad has had a stroke. And, and like your, your grandpa, my dad is a do-it-yourselfer, strongest guy that I know. Always, he taught me, he's the one that taught me the hustle. He's the one that taught me the grind. <laughs> he, he was, I mean, he's one of those, he, he, without a college education, he worked his way up in, in uh, the Southwestern Bell and AT&T to be the vice president of Communication Workers of America, local here in Dallas, in a good old boy system. So I mean, he, he was a hard worker so he so, had a stroke how was he i mean what that, that was the whole thing you know that whenever i got the call i had to make an instant decision i just got here spent a, a lot of money to be able to get to uh to finland you know the label did and so i would have to turn around and come back or do i stay and continue what it is that i was doing and that was that was uh, tough for me it was a tough Can I speculate you stayed yeah i stayed i did I, it was a conversation with my mom, who's my prayer warrior, and and uh, you know, like T.W. said, one of the most faithful people that I know. And you know, I'm having conversations. It's, it's a ten hour difference, ten ten or thirteen hour difference. I can't remember. It's, it was a big difference. So I'm staying up to have this conversation with my mom, and you know, emotional, and trying to figure everything out because I just couldn't even. Fath- it never fathomed me my dad not being in my life. He had a, a double stroke, so he ended up having a stroke in the stem and then a stroke. In, in another part of his brain as well. So he had a, and he had been on high blood pressure medication. What had happened was he had tried to pull himself off because he was exercising and everything else like that. And all it takes is one spike uh, and you're in trouble. And now the blessing is that he was around a group of people when it happened. So they were able to get him to the hospital and two of his sisters are nurses. So they were on, you know, they were on it right away. They flew in and, so and he had him transported. As a result of the stroke, he didn't pass away. No, he didn't pass away, but he was in bad shape at the, at the very beginning. They didn't know, uh, what the outcome was going to be. And that's was a struggle for me. Is How long ago has that been? This, this was uh, 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. How, is he still with us? Yes, he's still with us. The thing that my mom said is that God has you in Finland for a reason. Beyond the web of stuff, there's something big that's going to come out of this. And there's nothing more that you could do flying back home being here that you can't do there because what he really needs is your prayer. Wow. And, and that, that put me at peace. But it, it put me, I had to go back to the place where it is I was talking with God and, and really asking him to direct my path and what it is that I should do and what's my purpose. And, and I started reconnecting with what my purpose is. I ended up staying in Finland for 10 months. So yeah, I had to stay there for quite a bit. Uh, and, and at different points, still tr- struggling with that as he's going through the recovery and everything else like that. And I'm talking to him on whether it is I come back, but it, it was, a, it was an amazing experience. I made some amazing connections. And it really changed my mentality of my business. Now I'm an international business guy. So when I came back to the US, I played with a whole different set of confidence and field. So that really launched everything else in my life from that point. So yeah, it was crucial that I was open to listening to what the spirit was telling my mom. 
Cause she's almost prophetic in the way that she, she <laughs> communicates with God. I'm like, I, I, I strive to have that kind of connection. Right? I, I, I want to meet, I want to meet your mom. Oh man. Let me tell you, she's been a teacher for, you know, she was, she retired from teaching with over 30 years of being a kindergarten teacher. So she's one of those instantly make you feel like it is that you're one of her kids type of people. I used to remember people from that were, had her in kindergarten, they were in college and adults coming back and, and talking to her and talking about how much of an impact that she made. So just amazing. I don't, I don't even want to guess at this, but I, how old is your mama? Oh, I'm not going to say that on this. How old is your mama? <laughs> I will be an official senior citizen in December. Ah, so you, you got it. You're hitting that point, huh? Uh, 65 and December, 64 years old. And I can't believe it. I always said, you know, when we're young, this has nothing, nothing to do with our spiritual makeup, but if you'll allow me a little, little time to digress, when we're young, you look at a clock on the wall and it appears to be standing still. But as we get older, you can see that clock is actually moving older. Still it's picking up speed. And I think this is why old folks in nursing homes wear sweaters. It's because of the breeze from the hands on that dang clock. Cause it's spinning like a fan <laughs> It's zipping along. Yeah. It's getting faster and faster and faster. And my time is getting shorter and shorter. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I know the reward that's waiting for me. And I will get to touch the hem of the garment and I will get to hug my papa again. It's going to be an amazing day when that happens. It will be. I can't wait. It'll be exciting. And they, I would like to think there's people here gnashing teeth and grieving. <laughs> <laughs> But that event was one of the ones, that's one of the two events that uh, that really put, actually the first event was a little bit before that. My dad was actually in the Millennium Hilton across from the World Trade Towers whenever the, the planes hit. Um, and again, so these are both around my dad because again, one of the most prominent figures in my life that's been influential. And I didn't even know he was in, in New York. So I'm watching the stuff on TV about the first plane hit and my mom calls me and she said, your dad's okay. And I'm like, why would he not be okay? Cause I've been, I work in it and we're literally in the basement in this cement negative two degrees. Yeah, that's going to get you there. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't even have news feeds. Like we were all, we were in the server rooms. Right. And so we're getting it through the internet and through people talking about what's happening. And my mom calls and, and says, your dad's okay. And where and was said, he? he? He was in the millennium Hilton across from the world trade center. Across, um, literally, literally across the street. He, saw, he saw, he heard the first plane hit and saw the second plane hit from his window of his hotel. Wow. Um, and so, and so she said, he's okay. And I said, why wouldn't he be okay? And she's like, well, he's in New York. And, and immediately, you know, your main brain goes a million different directions. Now here's the, here's the God thing. He's in the millennium Hilton. He was planning on having breakfast. There's a restaurant at the bottom of the world trade center. He's planning on having breakfast that morning, but he overslept. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, if you think back to that day, if he'd been having breakfast on the lower floor of the world trade center and all odds, he would have gotten out. But, you know, people didn't know what happened. Whenever they were evacuating the World Trade Center, a lot of people, they came right outside to look and see what was going on because he said when the first plane hit and he heard the boom, he thought that it was an explosion, like a bomb. Because when he looked out the window, all he saw was papers flying and, you know, you see, you know, smoke, but you don't know what it is that's going on. And he grabbed his camera and he started taking, taking pictures because he has a really good camera. He started taking pictures because he had no clue what it is that was, was, was going on. But then he said when he saw the second plane hit, that's when the reality of uh, this is obviously not, you know, coincidence. And then he was, he's up on way up on the floors. I think he was 
40 floors up or something like that. So he had the, the, no elevators. So he had to take uh, floors down and mm. he got out and he got on the last train out of New York before they shut down the transportation. He got on the last train out of New York. So that was the first, first uh, time I really, really thanked God for everything it is I have and realized the blessings and how he's watching over us. Right? I think we probably all men our age, well, you're 30, you barely, do you even remember 9-11? I guess you do. Yeah, you, I was, I'm 40. That, that's a near, so, you're yeah, what? So, so yeah, <laughs> I remember it well. Okay. I was I was in my 20s then whenever it happened. So. Okay. Well, I, I was I was on the radio in, in Atlanta at, at that time. But uh, my favorite story that came out of 9-11 uh, was based around the Pentagon. Uh, my good friend, Admiral Tim Keating, call sign Timbo, uh, was a, a former naval aviator. Now he was running everything with the Navy attached to it in the Pentagon. And uh, he was meeting with 26 of his staff in, in, in a conference room in the Pentagon. And they, they come in, interrupt the meeting and show, turn on the TV there in his, in his in the conference room that shows the, the World Trade Center that that's been attacked and the second plane hit and this was before the pentagon was hit and keating thinks we're under attack and he left this meeting to get to his office to coordinate the response that america will have to the attack that he's just seen and right after he left that conference room is when the plane hit the pentagon and all 26 of those men and women those fabulous heroic patriots that were in the meeting with him they were all killed wow and that, that's the story of 9-11 that I always think of. When God has a purpose for your life, whenever you're here for a reason, for whatever that is, and we don't know, right? I believe he guides your, your past. And, and it's just like my dad oversleeping and not going to eat breakfast in the bottom. It's not always a direct conversation that he has with you. I think that he, he uh, has things that happen that, that shows you the right way or he makes sure it is that you're going to fulfill his destiny that he has for you. He's going to put you where he wants you to be. No, you whether can, you like it or not. And sometimes right. he, that, sometimes that, that journey is through the fire just so he can get you. Right. You can fight it if you want to. It's okay to fight it. He probably thinks that's kind of funny. <laughs> and you know, TW and I talked on, on one of our previous podcasts about, because it was Why Do We Pray was, it was episode three. Uh, and we talked about if it is that God has knows what's going to happen, to you like if he has a path for you from whenever it is that you're born what's the purpose of praying and asking for you know him to be able to do stuff whenever he already knows a and then b he already has a plan for you and i and one of my response my personal thought is that so that you can kind of shorten the route because you can go the long way like we just said (laughs) to be able to get there or you can go the little bit less painful short way and so i always ask for god's guidance that's one of the things that i pray for and that he guide my path and guide my decisions. So that way it is I can fulfill my destiny that he has for me. That's we don't know what his plan is. That We have no way of knowing what his plan is. All, all I know is, that as I said here right now, he's not done with me yet, or you, or Wally. And, and you know, he's, I don't know what the plan is, neither do it, none of us no. what the plan is, what the next heartbeat is going to hit or not, or if, or if the heartbeat that just hit was the last one. We don't know. God knows. And, and everything's going to be okay. And eventually we will have the reward that we've been promised. 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 It was paid for. So talk about the two different lifestyles. So you, would, you did two different types, rock and roll, right? And then what did you move to after you, you were a rock and roll DJ? He was actually a DJ in Dallas. Were oh. you? Mm-hmm. Really? Yes, I was. That's and, awesome. So talk about those, those, two different, those two different lifestyles. 
The, uh, what, was the, what was the second genre that you DJed after rock and roll? Country. Country. Yeah, but uh, and it sounded didn't that sound country when I said country? It did. But, it did. But it fits I, in I, Texas, so I, I, know, I know. I know. I got it. <laughs> I uh, I went to Dallas. Negative. I went to Houston in '81. Uh, to 97 Rock, KSR, owned by ABC, big station. Uh, this was an exciting period of time for me, and I spent five years there. And I was what they called a shock jock, a blue disc jockey. I was nasty as I could get away with being. <laughs> filthy. Oh, my goodness. Filthy. And I'm, I'm not proud about it, but that, that happened. I'm not ashamed of it either. This was a big time in my life. And we did a lot of traveling with this morning show. We did uh, a morning show for a week in Germany, in Munich, Germany. We did two different trips to, uh, uh, to England, to, to uh, London. Uh, did, did some trips to Mexico. We broadcast live from down there. It was a ball. I mean, we, we, it was wonderful. In, in 86, uh, me and the general manager of the radio station, the rock and roll station in Houston, decided we weren't laughing at the same jokes anymore. So eh, I kind of came away from it. And I had, a, had an agent that had sought me out. And the agent found a job in Dallas at uh, KEGL, the Eagle, 97.1, I believe. And uh, so I went there and it, it wasn't as good as Houston was, but it was fine. I met a lot of really good people. And while I was on the radio in Dallas, I got a phone call from uh, uh, Oliver Stone, the producer, movie producer. He was, he was shooting a movie there in Dallas and he'd been listening to my show. And I got off the air one day, the Moby, you have a phone call. And I went and picked up the phone call. I said, Moby, this is Oliver Stone. I said, yeah, right. Who is this? It was Oliver <laughs> Stone. And, and uh, he wanted me to come over to the set. He had some things on this movie that he wanted me to do. The movie was talk radio. I got a credit at the end of it. It says newscaster, announcer, Moby, talk radio. Cool. It was an Oliver Stone movie. But, but in, in any event, I, uh, that happened to me while I was in Dallas. Uh, also, uh, Oprah called. Oprah Winfrey. So she flew me to, to Chicago and I was on the Oprah show. Yeah, oh, that's on my bucket list. That's awesome. And, and to be on, to be on the Oprah show. And, yes, and, uh, also, uh, ABC contacted me and, uh, Ted Koppel and Nightline. He, he wanted, uh, uh, he wanted me to be a guest on Nightline and I was there in Dallas and they, they sent a limo for me, took me to a studio there in Dallas. And I had the IFB, the thing in your ear, where you can hear him and the camera was aimed at me and all it was in this room was the cameraman, the camera, that thing in my ear, a couple of lights and, and me looking in the camera and Ted Koppel on the other end of it. The guests on Nightline that evening were uh, Diane Calori, who was the chief general counsel of the Federal Communications Commission. Keep in mind, I was a blue disc jockey at the time, nasty shock jock. If I could get away with it, I would do it. And uh, the other gentleman that was there, his name was uh, Nat Hentoff who's a First Amendment advocate, freedom of speech advocate. Mm. This was an interesting nightline, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the, the nightline began with me saying, the FCC can kiss my fat white country boy. Yeah, okay, you got it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I know, that's how nightline began. Then. And I was a couple of years in Dallas, then back to Houston for a couple of years, and then country music. Uh, my agent was a good friend of the of a president of ABC in Atlanta. And that I'd always been told just the way my voice sounded, Moby, you ought to do country. I said, I'm kicking butt in rock and roll. Why would I go to country? Well, the rock and roll period of time was winding down. It was obvious that it was. And the Atlanta radio station flew me and wife number two in 
to, uh, to, to visit the radio station, to think about making the move to country music and to Atlanta. And I did it. And they were paying me just stupid money to, to come from Texas, which was the hardest part of it. Leaving Texas is tough. I hated leaving Texas. I didn't mind leaving rock and roll at all because I'd always liked country music, but leaving Texas, I, I didn't like that part, but I did. And, uh, in, in four months, I was the number one country jock in the South. <laughs> yeah. At, at that period of time in country music, it's easier to seek the path that we were talking about in rock and roll. It's harder to do because everybody's screwing up in rock and roll. You, right. you don't you see it's because of the music or the people or what, what is, what causes that? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, and, and, and it kind of doesn't matter. You know, yeah. what, what yeah. happened was it got me to where I am now and I'm okay. Moby's an okay guy. Wally, wouldn't you say that? Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, baby. Moby's an okay guy. All right, TW, you've been kind of quiet, man. You got you got to do some some talking here, man. Let's talk about uh, your journey. You know what I mean? So we you we were talk talking about, about uh, the events that uh, kind of captured and um, and reasserted yourself on the path. It, it, the uh, stories about nine eleven brought to mind. One of the events that I remember very clearly, when I was younger, I was a very avid skier and I had made some friends, happened to be doctors, which was a good thing because doctors made a lot of money <laughs> and they had some nice digs in Aspen and Vail. And I was sitting on a couch at this uh, log cabin in East Vail one morning. We were about to get in the car and drive back to Denver to fly back uh, home, him to uh, Cleveland, me to Atlanta. And that's the day that they captured Haddam Hussein. And Cindy had died about a year ahead of that. And I was going through the process of grieving and then starting to date again and just kind of put my foot into it. And it's the period of life that I remember and I call my party Wally phase. Because <laughs> I found out that at my demographic, being at my age, my profession, my income level. Yeah, you were marketable. I was, yeah, it, it was easy for anybody, you, know, you ask a, a an unattached woman, would you like to go out? The answer was, do you want to get married? <laughs> kind of thing. And so I, I, I found it very easy to take advantage of those situations. And there was one girl who was from Texas. She was actually from uh, West Texas, who was also a CPA. She was a skier. On paper, she looked really good. But there was something that was holding me back. What I determined later it was the spirit holding me back. And at that point... I had met Fran. We had started to date a little bit, and I was enjoying my time with her. But she was so different than all of the other women that were out there that were not quite throwing themselves at you, but they were kind of, kind of what desperate. What did Fran have that they didn't have? What was what? What was that? I mean, they, you weren't you weren't going out with scuzz buckets. You were going out with nice women, but they they didn't fulfill something in you that you needed to have fulfilled, and you felt the the absence of that fulfillment. And yes, then, it, it was, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was her. It was her spirituality, mm -hmm. uh, and you know her her reaffirming belief in Christ and Christianity, and I can remember that when they they showed the video of pulling Hussein out of the thing. It's like somebody taking and popping you on the side of the head with their finger. And they said, it's time for you to stop doing what you're doing, get back on the path and you know, knuckle down and lead the life that I want you to lead. So I'm I came led you to a woman that will help you down that same path. Exactly. And so it became obvious to me, like, oh, okay, 
because of the way that uh, Fran and I got together was an accident. I had, um, I was, I was talking about uh, dating this girl that looked good on paper. I was getting disillusioned. So I was updating my profile on match.com or whatever I was on. And, and then I went out to, to dinner and, and I came back and I realized that I had left it on, you know, visible to the public, which you have to do, I guess, when you were changing it. As you know, I'm not a techie. T- techie anyway, boy, here I, knows this, don't you? I, I, was, you know, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Lottie, I was going to let it ride. I was going to let it ride. Lottie was screwing up. Okay. Well, anyway, so while, while, the, while I was visible again, I got three invitations to let's meet up. So one of my rules was if somebody invites you, you go out and you meet them. And so Fran was, Fran was, was one of them. She was the third one I met with, and she was so different than everybody else. It just hung to me. So that when I came back from that trip, I looked at our relationship differently and let myself get serious and have never looked back and got myself back on the path and just continue to march. Alistair, have you met Fran? No, I've talked to her via Zoom and, and from her, she said she, she's done a lot of work on him. <laughs> <laughs> she's a dandy. You know what? There are many people that tell me that I outpunted my coverage with Barry Beth. That, golly, Moses, what a wonderful woman. She is Wally's met her. And, and uh, I hope hopefully someday you'll get to meet her and, and Fran. But Wally and I, I think if we have something in common, I think we have many, many things in common. One thing we have, we, we married above our race. <laughs> on this one, you know, because he has Fran and I've got Mary Beth and, and we're both, both very blessed to have these women in my life. And I sincerely pray that I'm taken from this life before Mary Beth is because I can't imagine a day on this planet without her being part of my life. And I, I'll throw myself in the bucket as well with my wife, Wendy. Uh, and that's why it is that, you know, for our 10th anniversary, I wanted to do a big and surprise her and not one of the things off her bucket list going to New which York. Was, which was her. what? New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Going to New York was one of the things on her bucket list. Plus she good to meet. She hasn't met a lot of that side of the family. So I'm so excited for her to meet, uh, some of the family that she hasn't met that lives in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, those areas. Um, so, so it's, it's a really deep meeting for me. I get to show her, you know, where it is that I was born and I got some of the, the landmarks where it is that, you know, uh, my parents, cause they grew up, they met and grew up in New York. My dad's from Antigua, Virgin Islands. My mom's from Pennsylvania, but they grew up in New York. So, uh, so no, I, I, I'm, I'm envious is not the right word, but I'm very, very proud. Well, it might be the right word. You and your family to have a big family like this and, and a great woman to bring to that family, to let them meet, you know, they're going to approve of her cause it's her. She married you. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that, that, that's fabulous. I'm, I'm glad you have that. My family, I just, I don't have them. Uh, it, recently I've lost, a, uh, I didn't have full brothers and sisters, but I had two half sisters and a half brother. And one half sister, one half brother have in the last two or three years passed away. There's another half sister that I hope God has in his plan to cross our paths because we're not talking. We haven't spoken in forever. But to, to see a big family, I'm, I'm envious of that. I, I don't have that in my life, and that's okay. I have Christ in my life, and that's, that's fine. And I've got little Grace. You know, we adopted a girl when she was eight months old. She's 15 now. I didn't really consider at the time I got her that eventually she was going to become a teenage girl. She did. <laughs> so talk it. about that. That's, that's very interesting because, uh, you know, I always, I have a higher level of respect for people who it is that adopt kids right into their lives too. Well, we, we got her. She was a baby. Um, Mary Beth and I had married a couple of years prior to this. We married in 01 in, in March of 01. Mary Beth's mother and dad 
are Mormons. And in this Mormon church, there, there was a lady there that, that knew my mother-in-law. And uh, she had a daughter, this, this woman did, that was not a, not, not a well-behaved person at all. She had lost several children to the state. Uh, she was on drugs, heavy, heavy, heavy on drugs. And she had just had this baby that was now in foster care that at this point was just a few months old. And this woman asked my mother-in-law, well, Moby and Mary Beth, they, they got married here a couple of years ago. They don't have any children. You think they'd like to adopt this baby? What? <laughs> so, <laughs> so my mother-in-law talked to Mary Beth about it. Mary Beth came to me and I said to her, I said, I know that you've never had a child. And I know the experience of raising a child. And if, if you would like to go down that road, I'm a player. I'll do that. I love kids. How old is she? A little girl, is it? Yeah. When we got her, when we finished it, she was eight months old. But it, at this, and she was, you know, two or three months over what she was. But uh, Mary Beth said she would like it. I said, okay, I have one criteria. What's that? I said, when the baby wakes up at three in the morning, it's never my turn. <laughs> <laughs> if you're good with that, I, let's get her. And, and, and we did get her. Oh, it, it, and, and you know what? I talk about her being a teenage girl. And it, we have EG, which is evil grace, which we don't like to hang around much. We got SG, which is sweet grace. And when evil grace comes around, I'll send her away from me. Said, look, you are dismissed. Go away. And if you find sweet grace out there and she has hugs and kisses for me, you can bring her back with you. That'd be great. But I'm done with evil grace. Go away. She's a teenage girl. I got a 15 year old daughter, so I'm with you. I, I know all about that. <laughs> I have an 18 year old son and a 15 year old daughter, so we have two teenagers in the house at the same time. So it's, you know, it's we, ado we adopted Grace just as Jonah, my son, left for the Navy. He had joined the Navy, and uh, we—it's it's like we opened the, the back door and Jonah went out of it. Opened the front door and here come Grace, you know. <laughs> but, but Jonah and Grace have the best relationship. He's in his 30s. And, and, and Grace is a teenager. They have the best brother-sister relationship. It's, it's astounding. To, I, I, I love what, what, what they have with each other. I do. That's amazing. That's amazing. Man, your life is just so full of color and so full of uh, twists and turns. Do you have a process? And I know this is a kind of a, a crazy question, but it's what's on my mind. Do you have a process whenever it is now, growing how you have grown in your faith, uh, kind of a, a litmus test process of how it is that you know whenever you're off track and that you need to be able to get back on track and, and how it is that you send to refocus and recenter yourself? I don't have to have a process because I understand and I thoroughly believe that there is a process that I may or may not be made fully aware of. But if I don't push back on the process, if I allow it to develop, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I have this family that loves me and I'm very grateful for that. I will have the reward of heaven someday and I'll see Papa again. I'm, I'm well aware of that as well. So what does that look like? You said if you don't push back on the process, how do you, how do you recognize that, that something's going on that's a little bit different? I'm, I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. Because I like to give the people who are listening, who maybe it is that are in that place, right? Uh, ways that they can actually implement some of the things it is that we say or just ideas. God's going to leave them where it's that they need to go. But maybe they're listening to this and something resonates with them uh, that you say they're inspired by, by your your life, right? God has his powerful and holy hand on all of us. And eventually his process will come very apparent. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. woke up this morning. I knew I was going to talk to you guys. I was okay with that. That's part of the process. And to talk to you about my spiritual life. That's part of the process as well. To think about Papa, 
and think about how much I love my wife, how fortunate I've been through life. That's all been part of the process. I don't know what's coming. I'm not preparing for anything. There's no need to because it's already been prepared for me and will be presented to me when the time is right. I like that. TW, you got any thoughts as we get ready to close this this episode out? Well, we have uh, discussed before about where we have some idea about, I guess it would be more like uh, having a goal, a spiritual goal, using your talents in a way that praises God, uh, fulfills the, the journey that he has for you. As we've talked about before, I'm a person that has a, a very active imagination. And I think that the spirit speaks to me through my imagination. So just like Moby woke up this morning, knew he was going to talk to us. I wake up and, and I have this thought, that thought, this one like, oh, oh, you know, this is new. You know, can do this, can do this, can do this, can do this. And I just have to figure out which are less efficient to do and which are more efficient to do in terms of what I think is my next step for the day. So it's a, for me, it's a prioritizing exercise. And, you know, with your background and in, in, uh, accounting and <laughs> that, that, that was that very much makes sense to me. Knowing you and knowing your linear, uh, you know, even getting ready for these podcasts, you keep us on track with having a, a list of things to say. I'm more of a, a let it move you type of guy. So I Peter appreciate that kind of guy. You're yeah, I, I appreciate kind of that. But you know, it's funny because my wife is the same way. I think we, we, team up or the guy teams us up with people who it is that balance us out right so my wife is the linear list maker and, and we and the balance is what's the beauty of it right mm-hmm. uh and how it is that it works so i appreciate you tw for being the balance in, in this whole thing and i've had so much fun just so far with these episodes uh doing this alongside with you so just wanted to give you a shout out while we're on yeah wally's been a friend of mine the, the whole way through you know as as the book uh, reading the book out loud, uh, continued to, to, to progress while and I became good friends and we've been good friends ever since then. And now he's brought you into the loop. Okay. That's cool. Hi, Alistair. Well, we're definitely going to have you back on here, man. This has been a, an, an amazing, well, you're, you're our first I'm official back. guest. So this has been stellar's what this has been. This has been <laughs> a stellar period of time stellar. between three very good men. And you're our first official guest, so there goes another. We're going to have to get you a plaque for that. Oh, oh wait a second. You're, you're leaving out one important factoid to all of our new listeners. It, that is that Moby is the voice of our lead in and our lead out. Oh, that's right. How can we leave that out? <laughs> Forget that. Oh, yeah. That's important. So, so whatever it is that we, when you hear this outro and this intro that we play, then uh, you'll know who it is the voice is. You got to meet him as our first official guest. Like I said, we're going to get you a plaque to put right back there next to your yeah, other plaques. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got tons of plaques. I don't, I don't need any more plaques. <laughs> well, Mary, Mary Beth would tell me we ain't got a wall space, but I want to tell you, Alistair, I've really enjoyed meeting you. God, God brings us to people that you think, well, what do you want me to do with this guy, God? I, I, that's become apparent. I, I, I love you, and I'm glad that We've got to spend this time together here this morning. And Wally, thank you for facilitating that. And the feeling is mutual for sure, man. I feel like we've been old friends for years just talking in this short of time that we did. Uh, and we appreciate you coming on and, and being our first official guest on the Techie and Cowboys. So with that being said, we'll do a trio sign out this time. My name is Alistair Hunt, the Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, the Cowboy. And we got our special guest. Moby in the morning. <laughs> Moby in the morning. Thanks, guys, for listening in. Let's kick that outro music and listen to Moby's smooth voice lead us on out. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time for The Techie and the Cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. 
Let us know what y'all think.